Welcome into this week's episode of Cape Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Carmen. We are so excited to welcome Jeff Ponce on for today's episode. Jeff is a prospect writer with Baseball America and helps cover the Cape Cod Baseball League. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, you know, baseball's fully underway, so that makes me happy, obviously, as a baseball writer, but uh, just somebody who lives and breathes the game. And every day we're a little bit closer to the start of the 2022 Cape Cod League. So every day I'm a little bit better. <laughs> exactly. Already mid-April. Time's flying. So, you know, you have a kind of a personal connection to the Cape League. You grew up over the bridge. You came to a bunch of games as a kid. Kind of call it your definition of heaven. What impact did the Cape League have on you growing up? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because I don't think I fully appreciated what the Cape Cod League was until I was an adult. Um, and I think that's probably common for a lot of people who grow up in the area because you don't and you don't expect there to be like this level of baseball kind of in your backyard, um, especially being in a cold weather state. You know, we got to play other sports in the winter. We got to go inside. We're playing hockey. We're playing basketball. Anything that, you know, of course, hockey's cold. But at the same time, you know, we can't really, especially when I'm 40 years old. So a lot of the indoor training facilities hadn't opened yet that revolution really started kind of after my generation um so it wasn't something I think I was a cognizant of and I had friends who you know had played high school ball uh alongside myself um that had played in the Cape Cod League actually and I can remember you know going to games there you know local guys um, from the area that had, had played in the Cape um even like you know just coaches people like that it was like this mythical thing that people talked about mm -hmm. and I don't think it was until I was probably an adult that I started to realize like wow like I saw Frank Thomas when I was a kid you know play for Orleans mm -hmm. or you know so and so and and then you start to make the connection of like every year when you go to a game um, there's potentially nine to ten major leaguers on the field mm -hmm. at any point in time which which is a a silly concept I think to even if you're going to minor league games all the time even if you're going to SEC games all the time and you're seeing the highest levels of you know sort of um, non-major league baseball you don't see that very often I mean I was at a game a couple of years ago opening the season in Wareham and Andrew Vaughn Bryson Stott both major leaguers were on the field Spencer Torkelson was a was a freshman uh, <laughs> and was playing for Chatham Alec Manoa was pitching for Chatham and there were a bunch of other prospects Greg Jones uh, Brian Packard other guys that were on those rosters for each squad guys that we may look back in 10 years and say oh there's another major leaguer there's another major leaguer and then let's go to the the next part of it the games are free you know you're you're not paying an arm and a leg for concessions and I have three kids so <laughs> if and, and they want to go to Cape games because they're it's a different environment mm -hmm. and we'll probably talk about that a little but, you know, I can go to a game at, you know, at YD or I can go to a game in Orleans or Chatham or, you know, Ketuit, you know, Lowell Park, one of my favorite places on earth. Um, and, and I don't spend $70 on concessions, you know. Um, they can get a T-shirt or something. And beyond that, it's free to walk in. You obviously make your donations. I always do. Um, but they're getting memories. They're seeing great players. They're up and close to the game. And I just feel like the whole experience in the Cape mm -hmm. is very different from anything else that you see at this point in baseball, because the game itself has been, and for good reason, has become so corporate. Like so many things are controlled by the gate, what they can get out of you, you know, for money when you're there. Um, and you get to see guys really making their futures. I mean, there are a lot of players that come from mid-majors non-division one schools that go to the Cape Cod League mm -hmm. and make a name for themselves. This year was really interesting because you had guys like an Adam Mayer with Yarmouth Dennis um, that was from the University of British Columbia. That's an NAIA school. Mm -hmm. um, he's now at Oregon. I think he ended up getting injured, but there was a there was a lot of buzz the first month of the season about Mayer and potentially where he could end up. There were a bunch of different schools that were rumored. Mm -hmm. And that guy firmly went from a no name nobody knew who that guy was J January uh, excuse me June 1st at least in terms of the public consciousness you know baseball people obviously are a step ahead <laughs> but 
you know, I didn't know who Adam Mayer was and I follow the draft. I, I follow all that. And then, you know, he comes out, I saw him two or three times over the first couple of weeks. And it's like, all right, you know, look at the slaughter, you look at the fastball, the change up, all right, there's something here. And, you know, fast forward, you know, six months later, and he's in the top 50, top 60, 70 on draft lists. You don't get that experience anywhere else, I think, mm -hmm. by Phil. So that was a long rambling explanation. No, that's great. I could talk about the tape all day. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about, you know, all those players, so much talent, who are some of your favorite players kind of growing up that made that impact on you? Yeah, I think, you know, the big one that I mentioned was um, Frank Thomas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who was, who was a big one, obviously, you know, seeing him on a baseball field when you're that young, uh, as big as he was, I mean, cause he was a defensive end mm -hmm. and this is before sort of, you know, the steroid era and guys got yeah. humongous. <laughs> um, he was so much bigger than life and just the power that he had when he made contact with the baseball. That's certainly one that kind of sticks out in my mind. Um, but a lot of them honestly are, are people that didn't make the major leagues um, that were coaches and, you know, friends of my family, stuff like that. Um, like I can remember my father's partner, this guy, Chris Fragger, um, who was a, an attorney. My father was an attorney in Taunton. Um, and he played in the Cape. And I can remember as a kid going to see the Pawtucket Red Sox and going to see like Mo Vaughn, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is like a million years ago. <laughs> and, and like he knew players on each team because there were guys that he had played with like two years earlier on the Cape. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, that was the connection that it was like a guy that was from my, my hometown that I knew could, you know, play alongside some guys that potentially became major league superstars, some of them hall of famers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's the thing that makes the Cape unique. Cause it's still there. There's still local guys, mm -hmm. um, every year that break through on the Cape and, you know, are part-time players early play well enough. And you know, maybe they don't get. Um, you know, to the majors, maybe they don't even get to play in the minor leagues or if they do, they wash out within a year, mm -hmm. but they have that summer on the Cape where they get to play alongside these guys mm -hmm. and, and hit 300. Um, and you see it all the time. So I think, you know, that those are the guys that kind of stick, stick out for me. Like even recently, it's like um, Max Triani, who I think was a Bentley player mm -hmm. and division three ended up playing at UNC last year. And a lot of that was because of his 2019 Cape. Like, I think he hit like 300 something, you know, made the all-star game. Um, and whether he's a, you know, an accountant or a professional baseball player or a coach or whatever, um, he has those memories and you can't take that away from him. And I think that's, that's what's really fun about the Cape is following some of those stories. And um, every team, you know, has 25 to 30 stories. Yeah, exactly. And I've talked to a bunch of different players, some that are in the minors, some that are in the majors now. Obviously, they mentioned their summers are the best summers of their life, the fastest three months, too. But for your aspect, what were some of your favorite kind of memories or stories that you had going to games? Yeah, I think my favorite story, and it's fresh in my mind, mm -hmm. um, were two particular players from last summer. Um, so I was covering the Cape Cod League, actually, um, before I moved over to Baseball America. I'm still at Prospects Live. Mm -hmm. Really close with the guys at Perfect Game. And the guys that do the college coverage for Perfect Game, so I, uh, th they were nice enough to to pay me to to cover the Cape Cod League last summer for Perfect Game and PG College Ball. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to like thirty plus games, and one of my supervisors at Perfect Game uh, is a hitting coach for numerous Jared Goodwin, who's a, a hitting coach for you know a number of major leaguers, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, one in particular. A lot of big prospects. Riley Green's kind of one of his guys who's soon to be a major leaguer, um, but also Brock Wilkin. And so I met Brock very early. And because we had that personal connection, you know, the conversations were, were much easier initially. And I think anyone that's done any kind of journalism when you have to go up and talk to players, <laughs> not always comfortable at first. Yeah. You don't know what their personalities are like. Mm -mm. And I got to know Brock really well. And he's just such a good um, guy. Um, you know, somebody who cares a lot about the game and being better. Um, and somebody that has a lot of insights just into the player he players he plays with, the guys that he plays against, but also seeing him go from a standout freshman at Wake Forest to, you know, and, and honestly, 
he was part of that 2020 draft class where those guys, you know, high school wise, mm-hmm. were he maybe he gets a million dollars if there's no pandemic, if there's no shutdown. He has a full high school season. Scouts can get out to see him. Maybe he goes in the third round in an overslot, you know. Um, so he lost some of those opportunities, but to see him go on to the Cape and then just I mean, he's as good of a freshman as there's ever been on the Cape Cod League. Like that, I think people forget that. Like that was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was Chase DeLauder, who um, was a virtual unknown, another small school guy, James Madison. Um, by the end of the Cape, he had as much buzz as any Power Five guy that had played in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, and, and I've interviewed him a couple of times, and I just think that he is uh, uh, a fascinating personality and mind for the game. That's Bryce Hubbard. Uh, from Brewster. Um, if you've had an opportunity to talk to Bryce about pitching and how he approaches pitching, it's very different from a lot of other guys. Um, there's an element of, you know, just gamesmanship and sort of um, study and science that go into it with him that I, I think even in this, this age of data, he still stands out. This is a guy that would, in the middle of games he wasn't pitching in, go into the scouting section and, you know, just get data off of the trackman on a particular pitcher for an inning just to know like, what's this guy doing? How is he doing something different? Okay. Like I could kind of see this uh, and then kind of talk about it. And the way he talks about the game is so different from other people um, that, you know, I learned a lot just from conversations with him. And then if you go out and you watch him pitch, he's so competitive, competitive, he's so fiery that you would never think he was this kind of soft-spoken analytical guy off the field. And I, I think the combination of those two and just watching him and watching him defy odds is something that I'm going to really enjoy over the next couple of years, because he's not going to be a guy that probably goes in the top 10 picks of this draft, even if I think he should um, for a bunch of reasons. But I think he's going to be a guy we look back in three years and go, why wasn't that guy a top 10 pick? You know, and there's all these signs that you can see. Um, and if it doesn't work out the way I think it's going to, even then, I think that, you know, it's clear to see that a guy like that put his all and um, maybe being a little bit closer to it this year, you know, I have more insight, but that, I think those three guys really stick out for me. Mm-hmm. Some of it being the personal relationship side of things, but, but also um, just how, un, how unbelievably focused um, and talent and also like coming from somewhat obscurity, I think for a lot of these guys mm-hmm. to what being good on the Cape means you know, publicly, but also, you know, in the back rooms and decision rooms for major league teams. Yeah. So looking ahead to this summer's MLB draft, I have to ask, which prospects do you think from last summer that you saw on the Cape standout? I know you mentioned a few, but kind of where do you see those players being placed for this upcoming draft? Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're going to see DeLauder still go pretty high. Um, Brooks Lee, I, I don't think there's much question he's going to be a top five pick. There's there's a chance he's 1-1. One, one. Um, you know, he's a guy that certainly stands out. Um, there were others, too, just in terms of a guy like Louis Ramirez, who I think was a little bit under the radar on the Cape, came out, looked really good. Um, you know, he's probably going to be a top five round guy. You know, I, I'm, I haven't talked to a bunch. You know, I'm mostly working the pro B at this moment, but um, – I'm sure if you talk to, to folks that are decision makers, he's within that conversation. Um, you know, other guys, there's, I mean, there's so many on every single roster. Clark mm-hmm. Elliott, I think, really cemented himself as a potential option um, for teams in, you know, the first few rounds, mm-hmm. uh, just based on how he performed last summer. Um, Tyler Locklear uh, from BCU was another one that, you know, maybe he, at least on the Cape, played second fiddle to Chase DeLauder a little bit, but I think people could see, like, all right, you know, what the bat could do. Um, he's incredibly talented. I think Eric Brown from Katuit is one. Ryan Ritter is another. Those guys are all like top five round guys. We talked about Adam Mayer already. I think, you know, um, regardless of how the injury sort of plays out, I still think he's the type of arm in this draft that's going to go in the top three rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go through every single roster, there's probably six or seven guys on each team that are going to get drafted, you know, maybe the averages, you know, average out a little bit differently, yeah. um, but I'm just even thinking more like Max Romero jr. From uh, Ch- Chatham last year is probably going to go pretty high in the draft. Um, and, you know, maybe these guys aren't first round picks, but that doesn't matter in baseball. Um, you know, really good players come 
from the entirety of the draft. But really, I think you have to look at it from the perspective of like top five round guys, top five round money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's probably going to be 30 guys. And that was what's cool about sort of the way things changed last year with the later draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you had this sort of early period within the Cape Cod League that was like the pre-draft period where there were a lot of guys, Evan Schauber being one, but there were several others uh, that came out here made a couple of starts if they're a pitcher, maybe two or three starts, you know, shut it down and then end up getting drafted. Um, there were a bunch of hitters as well. A lot of Ivy League guys last year that got drafted. I think Ben Rice from Catuit uh, being one who really was loud early on, ended up, you know, I think getting drafted by the Yankees in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Vernon from Chatham looked like a much different pitcher from the guy I had seen in 2019. I think he went in the 11th round of the Rays. Uh, you're going to see more of that this year. And I think it makes it exciting because some of these teams, like Pituit lost nine players. They completely worked their, <laughs> reworked their roster in a few days and they were in the playoffs and they, you know, won a game in a series against, you know, Bourne, who was probably the best team in the Cape up until the end where, you know, Brewster obviously won the title, but like, there's a lot of different things that are at play now. You may see more players now, that go into pro ball than ever before because now it's almost like a one month showcase before the draft for a lot of these guys and you know they're playing with more passion and pride just for themselves because the opportunities in their hand and how well they perform here could create more opportunities for them so you mentioned obviously tons of people from the cape now you're kind of more on the pro beat side of things so out of all the mlb rookies who are former ccbl alum who do you like most long-term? I know you mentioned Torkelson, Bryson Stott, Joey Bart, kind of who in your realm do you think is going to make the biggest impact one day down the road? Yeah, I think it's going to be Torkelson. Um, he struggled a little bit early on here, but that's kind of how Torque is. I feel like he always struggles um, at least the last couple of years and then just gets on, you know, gets in a groove. He starts seeing beach balls and, you know, it's just a laser show. So I don't think there's going to be, any concerns there long-term. And I think he's a middle of the order bat. Um, so the guys that I've seen recently, you know, that are, and, and that are rookies, I think it's probably him. Um, you know, Stephen Kwan is a bunch of others that are great stories. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think in particular, Torkelson is one that stands out for me where it's like, yeah, last year it would have been Manoa. This year it's Torque. I mean, just top of the scale kind of players, potential superstars. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, you know, the CCBL, obviously there's so many other summer collegiate leagues, whether it's the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, the NECBL, from a scouting perspective, what do you think separates the C- the Cape League from those other leagues? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good players in all those leagues, Northwoods, um, you know, the Coastal Plains League, Florida's uh, State League, I forgot the name of that one, it's maybe the Florida Wooden Bat League had some good players, you know, across the board, West coast league, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but this is the premier league in terms of depth, every single roster, as we said before, you know, really from like one to like 35, because you have those flux spots with, you know, temporary contracts, guys that leave to go to team USA guys that get drafted now. So there's a lot of flux within rosters. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to get the best players here in terms of a concentration Mm -hmm. you're going to get good players there's always guys that slip through the cracks that maybe don't play in the cape and play in one of those other leagues and end up getting drafted um and that's awesome you know that's why those other leagues exist and and why those leagues are important too i mean you see a lot of underclassmen that play in the necbl or the futures league or the northwoods league that the following summer when it's their draft year they come to the cape and that's what my last point is and i think it's the most important one mm-hmm. is this is where players go that don't make team usa and there's only a handful that do this is where they go to play to showcase their skills and prove that they're among the best um and being good on the cape is important mm-hmm. you know as we said before there's been guys that have gotten drafted just off of that so if you want to see the best summer ball in the world you come and watch the cape Cod League. love it so you mentioned you're part of the group that founded Prospects Live back in 2018. You kind of helped grow it to the level it currently is. Um, you know, it was first ran by six individuals. Now you're kind of more on the Baseball America side. But how did this idea kind of come about and where did it all begin? Yeah, so um, I had been in sales since 2006, around when I got out of college. 
and I had, you know, between 2010 and uh, 2016, I had three kids with my wife. And after my daughter was born, you know, like when you have like one, like your firstborn, like, and you're younger, like you go and you see people, everyone wants to see the baby, you go out and you do things. And, and then like the <laughs> second one comes and it's like, I don't want to go out anymore. <laughs> so, you know, during the summers, I was watching a lot of baseball and I would take the kids to baseball games, you know, all around me. Um, mm -hmm. Pawtucket was still in Pawtucket and not in Worcester yet, even though I live about 10 minutes from Worcester. But Lowell <laughs> was still here. Cape Cod League was going on. Um, there was college baseball. And it was a cheap, easy thing to do where we could go to like the beach during the day, go to a game or whatever. We'd go on vacation around there. My parents still live in Taunton. Mm -hmm. um, so we just go to a lot of baseball games and, you know, I found myself more intrigued about like writing about it. I was playing a lot of fantasy baseball leagues as well because it kind of filled the time. Mm -hmm. And I just, the bug kind of bit me. And I started writing for a website called uh, Razzball, which was a fantasy website. Mm -hmm. I've been around for a while and it was more of like a zany kind of fun site. So it allowed me kind of do what I wanted to do and uh, have some fun with it. And I wrote about pitchers mostly, and then had the opportunity to write about prospects back in 2015. Mm. Once that started, I had a lot of ideas for um, certain content that was lacking, particularly in like the fantasy space when it came to prospects and minor league coverage and the draft. And I expanded on a lot of that stuff between 2015 and 2018. Um, built a bit of a following, and I was still, you know, a dad, a coach, you know, a husband. Um, still going through, you know, work and, and all that every day, mm -hmm. but it became much more realistic around 2018. I was like, I want to do something with this and I want to focus more primarily on evaluation and really telling the stories of players in all levels of baseball and not just who is the best guy to pick up in your fantasy league, mm -hmm. which like there's a, a time and place for that. And I, and I, I'm somebody who personally appreciates all types of baseball coverage because um, you want to have, you know, as many sort of like rivers sort of feeding into the lake, right? Like mm -hmm. you'll never run out of water, you never run out of fans. So, mm -hmm. you know, I never have an issue with any of that stuff that's out there. I want folks to find different pathways to baseball and hopefully, you know, they, they get as crazy about it as I am. <laughs> um, but 2018, I had a couple other friends, uh, Jason Panini, Jason Waddell, Lance Brozdowski, uh, Matt Thompson, Mm -hmm. uh, and Jacobs Weibeck, and we started Prospects Live. And a the reason that I had started was I wanted to have my own thing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to explore these different things and just see what we could build. And we all wanted to get into scouting. We all wanted to get into baseball full time as a career. And um, it's remarkable. Looking back, when I left in November of 2021 uh, to join Baseball America full time, I quit my sales job after 16 years, um, and just I do baseball all day now. Um, but looking back, like I, 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 you know, I'm one of the editors of the prospect handbook, a book I've read since I was like in high school. Um, uh, Jason Panini got hired back in 2019, uh, as a complex level, uh, scout with the Minnesota twins. He's still working for him. I think he's on a second contract now. Um, and Jason, um, excuse me if I'm wrong and it's not, but I thought it was, um, <laughs> You know, Jacobs Weibeck just got hired by the Padres um, to cover the Arizona backfields. Um, Lance Brozdowski is on the broadcast for Marquee Television uh, for the Chicago Cubs. Um, Matt is still one of the owners of Prospects Live. And uh, Jason Woodell, you know, stepped aside, but still one of the most, um, you know, passionate and, and insightful baseball people I've ever met. But we had all, and we had a bunch of people that have worked for us mm -hmm. that have gone on to work for teams and work for, you know, sports agencies and everything else. And it's crazy to think that just a bunch of friends in a group text mm -hmm. chatting about baseball turned into that and changed our lives. So um, that's, the, that's the thing about Prospects Live for me that um, I can't believe that it turned into what it turned into. And it's still not like this huge, like, you know, um, media, uh, uh, juggernaut or anything like mm -hmm. that but you know we filled the niche and I think we brought in a lot of fantasy people into real baseball coverage and and maybe put a little bit more shine on the draft and some other things that um people had a passion for and just maybe didn't realize it because I always think that that's that's what separates people it's not looking at the data and seeing what everybody can see right mm -hmm. 
Um, and this is like all, all types of business, everything. It's looking at something that nobody's talking about and can't quantify and saying, I bet if you did this, this would happen. That's the way it is with scouting. It's the way it is with baseball. Um, and I think that that's, that's what's happening in the Cape Cod League, right? To tie it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Scouts are seeing things in players that other people can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what it was. We created something and we created a marketplace that I think hadn't fully been um, sort of paid attention to and, and cultivated. And I think now, three years later, there's a lot more passion for prospects minor league players, college baseball, um, the draft than ever before. And it's funny to say this, but in some ways, I think it was the, the 2020 is how everything stopped, that we had to find other things to talk about mm-hmm. when it came to content. And a lot of times we went back to college and prep and the draft because it was the only thing happening. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it wasn't just us, I mean, it was everybody. The year following, the last two drafts have been crazy. The amount of co- uh, content, the amount of coverage, um, you know, is much bigger than it's ever been. We've had good draft shows on MLB and ESPN. Um, and I think it's good. I think that we're starting to move in a direction where, like college basketball, like college football, where these amateur players have a name, people know who they are and know why they're so talented, want to see them, want to see the highlights. Um, I think that's great. It's great for everybody in baseball. Yeah, it makes you think a different way for sure. So from Cape to Prospects Live, now Baseball America, you've obviously experienced working in many different levels, scouting tons of baseball athletes. So now as a prospect writer for Baseball America, what are your tasks that are a little bit different from where you kind of started with Prospects Live and now where you are? Yeah, writing articles for a magazine, (laughs) like an actual pub, like, printed pub, pub publication mm-hmm. um that's really really different and mm-hmm. that's not something that i think i had ever anticipated um but i also think it's just the level of detail that goes into um everything that we put out there in the review process uh it really bugs us if we get something wrong or if there's a typo or mm-hmm. you know a player gets traded and you just printed something and you're like oh man i have to now go back and change this mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that separates Baseball America from other places that I've worked um, is, and I think it's just the mentality of maybe like a news organization versus a a blog where a blog is very much like your firsthand perspective Mm -hmm. and biases. And you can be, and you're very honest about that, Mm -hmm. where Baseball America, a lot of it is sourced. Most of the, what we're putting out there is sourced. So it's cool to get quotes and speak with, you know, scouting directors scouts, analysts, people in the front office, players, and really get the story from their perspective versus just what I'm seeing with my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I embrace it. You know, I, 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 I feel like I've learned so much and it's changed my perspective on how I view certain things within the game. Um, maybe it doesn't change my personal opinion, but it makes me think of the rational sort of argument against what I think. Mm-hmm. And I think if you understand both sides, you know, that's important. Um, I think it's something that lacks in baseball now. It's something that lacks in just life and interactions <laughs> with people that, you know, my father was an attorney. So I kind of grew up in a household where that was the environment, like rational minds mm-hmm. can differ. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've, I've taken away from Baseball America, where years ago when, it's, when it was my opinion on, on a website, and someone disagree with it, I might take offense or it might bother me or whatever, where now it's kind of like, all right, that's interesting. Like, let's, let's talk about that. Like, why do you think that? What are the examples? What's the data? Um, and you can kind of flesh out like, all right, like that makes sense. And you learn a lot more about the game and just how to evaluate things. And I think, you know, if, if you want to be good at something, you got to be open uh, to different perspectives and changing stuff. So I think that's the biggest thing. For me. No, exactly. And in life, that's a good life lesson for everyone. <laughs> um, so for those of you watching or listening, Baseball America is a sports magazine, as Jeff mentioned, that covers baseball at all levels with a main focus kind of on up and coming players in high school, college, minor leagues, and some international level. What have you noticed from a writer perspective, which each of those levels and kind of covering them that from your perspective of writing? 
Yeah. Um, I think that there's different goals mm -hmm. with each sort of level. When you're talking about amateurs, whether it's internationally, whether it's high school players, whether it's college players, mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's a little bit less with older players because like the international thing is wide, right? You could be mm -hmm. talking about 15 year old kids signing from Venezuela or the Dominican Republic, or you could be talking about 23 year old professionals that have played three or four years <laughs> at the highest level in Japan, yeah. right? There's a big difference between Shohei Otani mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Roderick Arias, who just signed with the Yankees at 16, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, it's, it's all a matter of projecting out how they're going to develop their tools into actual tangible skills mm -hmm. in game. It's also about their attitude and who they are as people. Um, I can't necessarily always, you know, go into those details and some of the stuff that you hear, but I think that it's something that's, that's present. Um, how is this guy's personality going to work? Uh, I know I just talked to uh, driveline founder and, you know, former pitching coordinator for the Cincinnati Reds, uh, Kyle Boddy, um, this last week, the podcast just came out, my podcast, 90th percentile with Baseball mm -hmm. America, my shameless plug right there. Yeah. Um, that was but, my next but, question, going too far, <laughs> going too <fast>. Cool. <laughs> um, but something that, that he had talked about was he talked about Carson Spires, and, you know, Carson Spires is a player who came from a big program, came from a baseball background um you know his family you know his father was a legend i think at clemson and i think you know uncle played in the majors or whatever it's a famous family famous family of athletes he was a walk-on at a d1 program um put up really good numbers but the stuff didn't jump off the page at you and you know it it wasn't anything physically or performance wise that got the reds to sign carson spires it was who Carson Spires was. It was the fact that when he talked to him, like you could tell the kid was focused on getting better, was open, you know, to change things and work on stuff. And, you know, I think that that's another element of the amateur side of things that needs to be measured. And, you know, I, so I think that that's what's different sometimes about covering those beats versus covering pro ball and, covering the minor leagues. Um, not that the personalities don't matter as much, but once you're in an organization, they've given you a substantial amount of money that obviously ranges in how much, um, but it's because they believe in you um, and they've already gone through all those processes. So now it's a matter of, can you perform? Can you earn it? And I think that that's, so you're a little bit harsher on guys in pro ball if they're not earning it. Mm -hmm. where I think with amateur stuff, there's so much that goes on that you kind of got to weigh that and look at the skills and say, you know, what is this guy's work ethic? Like, what do the coaches say about him that, that you know, he's played for? I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but there were, I remember hearing a story about a kid a few drafts ago, a, a high school kid who struggled his draft summer because he broke up with his girlfriend a week before his draft summer. And it was a really bad breakup. Um, and they had been together for years. Mm -hmm. And like, I had been a 17 year old kid before. I understand what that's like. I think we all can, but we don't think about the fact that it's a 17 year old kid and he has the most important summer of his life. Mm -hmm. And he may not just be feeling it for a couple of weeks and that could cost him money. Mm -hmm. Luckily this kid went on, went to college, became a star, was an early round draft pick, you know, and is, you know, I think in the major leagues. So that happens all the time. We don't even think about it, right? So I think that that's, that's the different part of it is there's a lot more of like letting go struggles, but also understanding like who the person is on the amateur side versus the pro side. Once you get into the pro side, particularly when you get into, you know, high A, double A, you got to perform. Um, you're not going to get those opportunities. There's plenty of guys who signed for millions of dollars that went high in the first round. And then, you know, they just, they weren't good. <laughs> it happens so you mentioned obviously you have a role of writing for baseball america but also now you're hosting a podcast called the 90th percentile which dives into kind of the rapidly evolving world of player development crazy world so each episode you're speaking with 
new people within the game, making an impact on player training, development, kind of their methods when it comes to what they're exactly doing. So where did this idea come about and how is it all kind of began? Yeah, um, I think it was just based in, I wanted to learn more about it. So I had traditionally approached everything from like a very sort of scouting focused background um, prior to the shutdown of 2020. I knew a lot about stats that would show up on like a fan graphs page and how to break down a player's performance, but you don't have all that for anybody really outside the major leagues, at mm -hmm. least in the terms of the depth that we have. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to um, learn to evaluate pitchers better. So I worked with a couple of guys that were like 20 years old that were aspiring analysts that worked for us at Prospects Live. And we just had a really open dialogue about data and trying to understand it so they would send me like two player pitchers data they'd start show me like everything for you know their pitch movement their in, induced vertical break their horizontal movement their spin their spin access um you know their whiff rates their strike rates and i'd have it for like you know their fastball their curveball their slider their changeup, and i'd have like two pitchers mm -hmm. and then they'd be like break it down and so i was really wrong early on mm -hmm. and then by being wrong i learned about what was right and how to sort of approach it and think differently. Cause that's always what you take away. It's not always the end game, but it's like, how, how can I improve my process and make it more streamlined and take in all these different data points to get like an ultimate conclusion. That's really what your goal is. Um, so I took it the next step when I had an opportunity with baseball America where it's BA it's baseball America. People are going to talk to me and we have connections. So I was able to get a lot of smart people. I've had Tom House, who was Tom Brady's throwing coach, Drew Brees' throwing coach. Oh, he's also a major league uh, pitcher, a major <laughs> league pitching coach. Uh, he he caught Hank Aaron's home run ball that broke Babe Ruth's record. Like he's like he's like the Forrest Gump of baseball. He's been in every single moment. Like you, he's gonna have the best baseball movie about his life. Love that. He's had so many different. But he, he, so I got, he's my first guest. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to talk Your to- first guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to talk to Nick Lodolo. Uh, we had Kyle Body on this week. Um, I talked to Sean McGrath, who was uh, Elon pitching coach, now double-A pitching coach for uh, the Seattle Mariners. Um, but all these, all these great minds, and really the goal of the podcast was to expand on what I did during the shutdown, which was shut up, listen to smarter people than myself, and then- soak up all that information like a sponge all those lessons mm -hmm. but also to be able to share that with other people mm -hmm. and maybe sort of um change how we approach conversations about baseball and change how we approach learning about baseball and just being open to different ideas because not every guest that i have agrees with everything that every other guest that i've had on has said but it goes back to what i was saying before where it's understanding all the different rationales and why people believe that Exactly. So for the future of this podcast, what are your hopes? Obviously, there's tons and tons of people to interview in regards to their methods and how they do everything. But what are the future hopes for this? Yeah. Um, Rob Hill, which is a random one from the Dodgers. I just think it's brilliant. Um, I'd really like to, to pick his brain, talk with him a little bit more. Um, this one might happen sh shortly, but uh, Jason Oakhart from uh, the Phillies, who's uh, another driveline guy, but was their hitting guy. He's been with the Phillies for a few years now. Uh, I just find his content on hitting and how he approaches it to be uh, really interesting. I'd like to talk to some major league managers. I mean, as, as funny as it is, I'd like to talk to like Tony La Russa, like somebody <laughs> who's publicly flies so in the face of all that, but has been around the game so long. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of get his perspective, like I think something like that, guys like that are interesting. Um, because you had to adapt at a certain point to something, whatever it was, uh, or what it, or, or, or more often than not, I think we forget this. The guys who are old school now are new school before. So they challenged something before. What was it that they challenged? Mm -hmm. You know, what's changed since then? Um, I think that's, that's, what's really cool about baseball is this new school stuff. Isn't that new. Um, they're all concepts that have been going on in the game for a long time. We just have a tangible way to measure it now. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes accountability a bigger portion of baseball coaching than it's probably ever been. And in evaluation than it's ever been. Um, it's easier to hold somebody accountable for missing something immediately. But also, 
it's easier to train where we're weak, like because nobody's perfect, right? There might be something that we don't see. It's easier to say, all right, I missed on that. This is why I missed on that. I can go back and I can learn from that. So really just anybody that can, that can bring that to the table. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not against talking to, to really anybody, but I think, you know, another one that would be cool is, you know, talking to, talking to Nolan Ryan, talking to Walker Bueller, mm-hmm. talking to Clayton Kershaw, um, guys within the game that, you know, have taken some of these methods and turned it into something or seen a bunch of different things or maybe tried multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who, you know, maybe failed a few times and then figured it out. Yeah. Uh, that would be interesting too. You know, like um, Rich Hill from the Red Sox would be interesting. Like Rich Hill had, Rich Hill was a couple years older than I am. <laughs> was a high school player here and then had this career with the Cubs and then washed out, was an indie ball. And now he's been back. He's had a, he had a full second major league career. You know, like how did that happen? And mm-hmm. how were you able to kind of put down your own guard, your own biases, and maybe your own ego and put that aside and rework yourself? Um, I find that to be most interesting. Cause I mean, I had a, I had a career change at 40. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I can, I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, covering all these people from Cape stuff to Prospects Live to Baseball America. Before we wrap up this episode, do you have any last stories or advice or anything you want to share with any of our listeners or viewers? Yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, just go to games, be open to different ideas. Um, And when you're at a Cape game, just appreciate the fact that you are at a Cape game. Uh, (laughs) After 2020, you know, I can remember I thought about crossing over that bridge for the first time to go to a game for whatever, I mean, 18 months or, or whatever it was, you know, more than a year. Um, and it was like my thing during the early part of the pandemic where it was like, I think we didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, once everything's good in June, I'm going to be back going to Cape Games uh-huh. and, you know, everything's going to be fine. And then it didn't happen. And you had to wait that whole year. And uh, I can remember talking to, you know, one person I've become friendly with, you know, my travels in the Cape, Peter Flaherty mm-hmm. uh, from Katuit, you know, he's a brilliant kid, uh, young man. Uh, I guess he's an adult now, right? <laughs> he was like, like 19 on the Cape. Oh my gosh. Graduated from college and works for the Yankees. But um, I remember saying to him, like that whole year of just like, I'm going to Lowell Park, I might kiss the ground when I pull into that parking lot, you know, two hours before game time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like I didn't cry or anything, but, but like, you know, when you get those chills, you feel that emotional, like feeling as I was crossing over the Bourne bridge, I was like feeling that emotional feeling and then pulling up to the park and just being there with just like a perma smile on my face. So um, I think, you know, appreciate those summer nights. Um, there aren't many of them. And uh you saw you can lose them quick. So, um, you know, when you're out there this summer, just realize that in my opinion, you're seeing baseball heaven and, and one of the rare things uh, in the world, which is something that's not completely commercialized, Mm -hmm. but is also of the highest quality. Mm -hmm. Um, That's rare. It is. So last thing, you're going to be answering a couple quick questions in regards to baseball Cape stuff. So first question is, I have to ask, where is your favorite spot on the Cape? It can be a certain ballpark, a restaurant, a beach, anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get in trouble if I start saying parks. Um, (laughs) But I think it's Lowell Park. Uh, I think Katuit is so unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a few organizations that are like this. Chatham's really unique. Chatham's a first-rate organization. Chatham's with the Yankees, though. Chatham gets all the love, right? Um, summer catch. Everyone knows Chatham, I feel like. Uh, and if you say you're going to Chatham, you know, they'll start asking you players' names. from. from but that's a, that's a great place. My kids love Chatham probably the best. Love it. Because uh, they can go and play in the playground. Exactly. Uh, I like Eldridge. Eldridge is a lot of fun. Um, Orleans, I think the game day experience probably can't be beat. Um, but in terms of a special place that you just kind of pull into a neighborhood the whole village rallies around Katuit. Um, I think it's less of, uh, and this isn't, you know, a, a, a knock on Orleans or 
chat up. It's less transient, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's less of a vacation spot. It's a vacation spot, but there's there's people that live in Katuit year round, and mm-hmm. like you feel that when you're there. I just feel like the vibe at Lowell is so different from other parks, and um, part of it is being close with Peter and kind of watching him grow and and that whole experience. But even the way the park is set up, the bricks, the mm-hmm. facade is beautiful. Um, you know, you have this little park. And if you zoom out, you don't even realize that the ocean's like the water's right there, you know, <laughs> over the trees. Stone throw. Um, I always think that's such a cool visual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the way Coach Roberts handles his business is if it's game seven of the World Series, whether it's game one or it is a championship game, mm-hmm. is, is admirable. And I think that um, he's almost like the New York City of uh, the Cape League. Like if you can play for Coach Roberts and he likes you when you leave, Mm-hmm. And he, he will sing your praises, then you can play for anybody. You have made it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he kicked me off the field during batting practice last year, and I loved it. Like, I, like, like, like he would let me shoot video, and then, like, it was the playoffs. So I was shooting some video, Eric Brown, and he's like, Peter, get this guy off the field. And I was I was totally fine with it. It's, it's like a long lasting cake memory for me. So. <laughs> I love it. I think I right. probably. Question two, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I think it would be uh, to be able to stop time. Mm. You know, like the Zach Morris timeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm old enough that I know what that reference means, but uh, I just think being able to uh, stop time and maybe gain like 12 hours when you have to get something done would be incredible uh because i could just stop time before dinner i could get all my work done you know (laughs) unfreeze time come back up in a much better mood you know cook for the family hang out with everybody uh and you get so much extra free time sleep time too if you could freeze and then just take like a nap for eight hours amazing yeah i think it you know everything else you know there's a lot of the superpowers out there that would be great but i think that you know just from a functional standpoint that would add so much to your life quality Haven't heard that one yet. You're the first one. Let's see if there's more. (laughs) Um, Question three, what is one thing that people don't know about you? Um, So uh, when I was at UMass Dartmouth, uh, I was in a rap group for like three years. And uh, we did songs with uh, a couple members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, We toured for a little bit. Uh, I got to open for Karis One, Slick Rick, Atmosphere, um, Capadonna. Wow. Uh, trying to think a couple others. So yeah. Um, Who knew? So I won't I won't rap now, but <laughs> I was gonna say, can we hear some? <laughs> it's, it's funny because like the 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 guys from our group, um, Dirty Dirty, are still a rap group in Providence. And uh, they've been around for a while, they've won several awards, and then our DJ was Jennifer Lopez's tour DJ for about six years. And so his life is cool. He'll send us pictures from Dubai, you know, at, oh. on an infinity pool. He'll send us pictures from LA, hanging out with J-Lo. Um, so that that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those things. I don't talk about it very often. Hey. Um, but that's kind of hey. what I was doing in college when other people were playing baseball. I was- I love um, it. music. See, you never know. <laughs> If you could spend an afternoon with any athlete in history, who would it be and why? Um, it would probably be uh, Tony Gwynn. Um, even though I'm, I'm a big power guy, mm-hmm. growing up as a kid, I was somebody who hit a lot of singles. <laughs> you know, um, I ran a little bit, uh, played good defense. And um, Tony Gwynn was my favorite player since I was a little kid. And uh, it was unfortunate that he died. Um, but I feel like there's so much that um, you could probably learn from him. And he was also um, on and off the field, at least from what it sounded like. You watch some documentaries, guys that have played alongside Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was just a first class individual, um, you know, college coach at um, San Diego State as well. Had Steven Strasburg in college, mm-hmm. uh, pretty good college player there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I could tell him to, to stop chewing tobacco and uh, <laughs> <laughs> help him out a little bit, not to be self-righteous. But no, yeah. I, I think... For me, it's Tony Gwynn. I thought, you know, Jackie Robinson would be one of my grandmothers from Brooklyn. She's one of the few people in my life. Uh, she's not deceased. She died at 100. So, you know, she lived a long time. Wow. She's one of the only members of my family that like baseball. My dad is Portuguese. Uh, he loves soccer. He hates baseball. It's not his thing. 
Uh, I know it's crazy. Um, so this crazy. was like totally. Uh, so she was a Dodgers fan. It's one of the reasons that I'm a um, closet Dodgers fan. Uh, is because Jackie Robinson was one uh, that I probably would want to, but everyone says Jackie Robinson. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say Tony Gwynn because I feel like um, similar qualities and mm-hmm. uh, just a, a really interesting player that we don't necessarily see uh, in this day and age. Just a good individual too. Mm-hmm. All right. So last question. Do you have a baseball superstition or ritual that you have to follow or something that you do before covering or attending games? Um, no, I had a lot of superstitions as a player in like yes. all sports. Um, but I hit a point where I was like 25 and I said, like, I'm not that important. So nothing that I'm going to do now is going to change anything. Um, but I'm really into preparation. So like I make sure my guns are charged. I have like three cameras I bring to games. I charge all that stuff the night before. I always charge my battery pack. Mm-hmm. I make sure I have gum. I make sure I have tissues. Uh, you know, um, I make sure I have a towel in case it rains and you gotta you gotta clean a seat. Uh, so I think it's just like over pre- preparation is probably what it is now. That's good. But when I was a player, I mean, you know, uh, batting gloves, tape certain places for no reason at all. Uh, <laughs> You know, like when I was playing, I was a big hockey player and, and I used to put all this like tape on my socks that had no functional purpose whatsoever mm-hmm. other than, you know, I took my shirt in because Gretzky did it. Like you just do stuff like that because like you think it's cool when you're like, eight and you just don't stop doing it when you're 18. So. Yeah, it's stuck with you forever. <laughs> yeah, like, but, but nowadays, no, it's just mostly being prepared for games and making sure that I, I don't um, end up making myself angry at my former self. You know, I can that ritual over preparation. <laughs> All right. I love it. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for coming on today. It was great to have you. We wish you nothing but the best of luck with everything that you're going to be doing. Thank you very much. I'm excited and uh, looking forward to a, another great season this summer. This is Emma Carmen signing off from Cape League Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well as follow us on social media at official CCBL on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for all listening and have a wonderful week.